0: rapid, Daily Edition, where we provide a quick biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity.
1: We want to start a study in the book of Judges looking at each of the judges because I think this will be helpful for us to see some patterns that we have even in American Christianity and elsewhere. So when we look at the book of Judges, first off, it is entitled Judges. People often remember their military conquests, but these are civic leaders. There could also be military, but they're often civic leaders who God raised up for the purpose of delivering Israel from its oppressors. The Judges... We're not arbitrators of law cases the way we would think of them today, but rather they were leaders chosen by gods for a specific task, and the judges of Israel were for justice over the oppressed. Though many were military leaders, the judges were a civil role, and it's important to note they were a civil role, not a religious one. That's going to be important when we look at Deborah. But it was a civil role, not a religious one, and it was not necessarily a military, military one. Now, we often think of the 13 judges mentioned in the book of Judges, but there are actually more when we include Eli and Samuel. There would actually be about 15, and for many people, the at least the Jewish tradition, would believe that Samuel is the one to have written the book of Judges. And this book is going to be very helpful in understanding patterns, even for Christianity today. Now, as we mentioned with the book of Judges, that there's 13 judges mentioned here that we're going to look at, there's actually more judges altogether. However, when we look at the Judges, this actually does apply to you and I today as Christians. You say, how? Well, very simple. There is a cyclical nature to the book of Judges. There's actually seven cycles that we're going to see, and within each of those cycles, there's four elements or cycles. So it's kind of a cycles within cycles. So first thing we're going to see is that there's four elements to all seven of the cycles. You're going to have Israel's disobedience. Then you're going to see the oppression at the hands of their neighbors because of their disobedience, which leads to Israel's repentance and crying out to the Lord for deliverance and The last, or the fourth, is that God delivers Israel by sending them a judge. However, each cycle is short-lived, usually by the death of that judge, and each of those cycles end up progressing to more overall disobedience of Israel. And so there's there's going to be basically five cycles of spiritual decline that we see as they continue to get worse. There's the disobedience and falling Failing to drive the Canaanites out of the land, idolatry. Third is intermarriage with the Canaanites. Fourth is not heeding the judges. And fifth is turning away from God to death of the judges. So you see cycles that actually apply to Christians today because we could be disobedient too. The first of the judges that we're going to look at is Othniel. He will be seen first actually in Judges chapter one, but mostly we see the account in the first eleven verses of Judges three. Now, he is of the tribe of Judah, and he is the nephew of Caleb, which is an important character when we look at Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that were faithful. He is his nephew from his younger brother, from Caleb's younger brother. Now, what we end up seeing is that there was eight years of oppression here but with him, we ended up seeing 40 years of rest in the land. This was a time after the death of Moses and Joshua, and Israel was looking for new leaders. We see that his name means God is my protection. The thing that we'll end up noticing is, yes, that Caleb and him are uncle and nephew, and yet he ends up Ethniel ends up marrying Caleb's daughter because he ends up saying whoever would capture uh, the city of Debar would be able to marry his daughter. And so we end up seeing Ethniel does that and has his daughter. Now, Ethniel is the first judge of Israel. He's a civil leader after the death of Moses and Joshua. He is the son-in-law of Caleb, as we mentioned, and which is one of only two men to have gone through the full wilderness. And so it could have been natural for Israel to choose him as the first judge. The next judge that we see is Ehud. Now, Ehud is from the tribe of Benjamin, and we end up seeing in Judges chapter 3, verses 12, we start to see the people did evil in the sight of the Lord again. In verse 15, they cried out to God. God brought to them a deliverer named Ehud. Now, Ehud was a left-handed man. Why is that important? Well, you're going to see that he is gonna dra- get a sword to his left side, not his right to where he'd use his right hand, that will fool people because they're usually used to right-handed warriors and they would be looking on one side. He was able to hide it because he was a left-handed man. Now, what ends up happening? He goes to the king of Moab. He presents himself with a tribute. He gives the tribute. The money's given. The king sends the tribute away. He's alone and he says to the to the king of Moab, I have a message for you. Goes in private thinking maybe, I don't know, an extra bribe or something but he goes to him in private now because he was a left-handed man he was able to take the sword that he had fashioned and pull it out now he stabs the king shoves it in to his very large body it says he was a fat man so far that the entire 18 inch sword goes in hilt and all and he kills the king He ends up locking the door on his way out, and he escapes, and everyone thinks that the king is in his upper room. They think he's just going to the bathroom, and so no one wants to bother him until it was too late, and Israel was saved. The third judge is the judge we actually know the least about, Shemgao. Now, Shemgau is the son of Athan. We only see two verses that refer to him, Judges 3.31 and Judges 5.6. So we can read those verses. In verse three thirty-one it says, After him was Shangau, the son of Athan, who killed six hundred of the Philistines with an oxgourd, and he also saved Israel. In verse chapter five, verse six it says, In those in the days of Shungao, son of Athan, in the days of Jael, The highways were abandoned, the travelers kept by the byways. And so that's basically all that we really have on him, not a whole much. We don't know really anything about his tribe and where he's from. Some think he was possibly a foreigner, not even an Israelite, but the oppressors were the Philistines. Now, the period that of rest, we don't know, but we do know is this was again a period where Israel disobeyed after 80 years of peace with, after with Moab. And now we have. Another judge that had to come up. That's the pattern that we keep seeing. Israel gets delivered, and then they continue in sin. That is the pattern we see in this book, and that is a pattern we can see in our life that needs to change maybe too. (laughs) Let's talk about one of the more controversial judges, and that is Deborah. Why is she so controversial? Because people don't really understand everything about what a judge is. Now, there's two people that we have to deal with here— Deborah, who was the judge, and also referred to as a prophetess in Judges 4 and 5, and then Barak. Barak was the military leader. Now, and keep in mind, we said from the beginning, being a judge was not a religious role, not necessarily a military role, but what we see is it's a civil role, though sometimes it could be religious and sometimes military. The military role was also seen as a religious act. So note The one who's acting in the military slash religious roles, Barack, but he refuses to go to war without Deborah, the civil leader. That becomes an issue where Deborah herself ends up passing a judgment on Barack for not going out without her being present. In other words, she's saying she recognizes that he's doing wrong by wanting this woman to come along with him, and the curse is that a woman was going to steal the the glory from him. In other words, there's some other woman that ends up killing the king that Barack should have killed she's also called a prophetess but keep in mind this is not the office of a prophet which would be a religious role this is a role of someone who speaks for god in other words she in a civil act is declaring the things of god and so we have to look at both of these people when we look at the judge of deborah but she was a judge as a civil leader our next judge is Gideon, and many people know the account with Gideon because, well, it's one that kind of stands out. So Gideon ends up being a judge. He is the, from the tribe of Manasseh. He basically ends up dealing with the oppressors of the Minyanites, and... And there were seven years of oppression. Afterwards, there's about 40 years of rest because of Gideon. And Gideon really is an example of, well, a lot of things. One, he's not so trusting of God. God wants him to go and destroy the Midianites. He's not exactly thrilled with that idea. He says, God, I, I need a sign. So he puts out a fleece. He says, you know, let it be the ground wet. But the, the, or the ground dry, but the, the fleece wet and then the reverse the next day. And so you see, he's not really completely trusting. And sometimes when we do are like that, like Gideon, God says, okay, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but you're not going to have it as easy as you might want. So Gideon ends up going and God's like, no, 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 you can only, you have way too many men. And he ends up saying, it's, you need to have this test and any men that drink the water, Like a dog, well, let them go home, but we're going to have just these men. Well, the men are just 300 men. He's going to go to war with 300 men, and what's he going to do? He's going to take pitchers and crash them together and a trumpet. And that sounds crazy, but it isn't when God is on your side. And that's what Gideon had to learn. That's what Gideon showed. So when God is on our side, we can defeat anything. As we continue to look at the judges, our next judge is Abimelech, and we said that with Israel, each of these cycles, they went further and further into decay, moral decay, and we see this with Abimelech, this judge. We see this in Judges chapter 9, and what you end up seeing here is Israel's actually now, is the judge is going against his own people. So the oppressors here are Israel, they're at civil war, so there's oppression within. Abimelech is the son of Gideon by a concubine. So he's the son of the last judge. But if you look at chapter 8, verse 33, it says, As soon as Gibeon died, the people of Israel turned against turned again and hoard after the Baals and so what you end up seeing is as soon as Gibeon dies, the Israel Immediately this time is going right back to the wrong that they were doing. And again, now you end up seeing Abimelech comes up. Now, what's the problem? Well, Abimelech, they made a king, which they should not have done, but they ended up making him a king. He ends up going to war and has a woman who ends up throwing something on his head and kills him as he is trying to burn a, a tower down. Now, you end up seeing that that's actually a curse. He, she, he doesn't actually die. He ends up asking for what his, his, armor-bearer to thrust him through, in other words, kill him off, so that he would die not by the hand of a woman, because that would have been a shameful thing in, in those days in his mind. And so what you see, though, is Israel immediately went back into their disobedience. That is the pattern we end up seeing with Israel, and it's a problem. The next judge that we see in the book of Judges, we see this in Judges chapter 10, is Tola. Now, Tola, well, there's not a whole lot about Tola. I can actually read both verses. It's Judges ten one and 2. It says, After Abimelech El- there arose to save Israel, the son of Purah, son of Dudu, a man of Issachar, and he lived in Shamar, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shema. So what you end up seeing is here after Abimelech, this is still, this is now the second judge during the four judges that we end up seeing that are judging during a time of civil war. So his oppressors was Israel. It was oppression from within. The continuation of what was happening with Abimelech, but you end up seeing still here four judges that are serving as judges over a civil war because Israel is degrading itself more and more into moral decay. This is the thing we end up seeing with the judges, that what we see consistent is that men were doing what was right in their own eyes. It's very similar to what we see in our country today around the world. When people do what they think is right in their own eyes, it always leads to moral decay, and God must raise up a Savior or there will be no deliverance. The next judge we have is Yair. Now, Yair is a judge again. He's the third of the four that are during the Civil War. He judged Israel for 22 years. And we don't have many verses on him either. It's Judges chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. That's it. And what it talks about is the fact that he had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys and had 30 cities. And what you end up seeing in Judges chapter 10, verse six is a very important line that we see again and again throughout this book. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroths and the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And so this is the consistent pattern. Israel, Israel, Disobeying God, abandoning God, going to live like the world, and then they cry out to God for deliverance, and God continues to deliver. This shows God's long-suffering in how he would treat Israel, that he kept sending a deliverer even though they disobeyed over and over and over again. Sounds awful lot like many of us, huh? We disobey God over and over and over again, and yet he still comes to save us. The fact is, it shows the character of God, that he's a God of long suffering, a God of care, and a God who will save. That's important, and Israel needed to learn that lesson as well as you and I need to learn that lesson. Jephthah is our next judge, and what we see is Jephthah was the son of a prostitute in Gilead. He was not really accepted by the people, but when they needed a judge, when they needed a real leader, they turned to Jephthah. Now, Jephthah is, as we're seeing each one of these times that we see a new judge, his reign is shorter and shorter as Israel continues in more and more moral decline. Jephthah, however, is most known for a vow that he made. When he went to war, he makes a vow that the first thing that Lee enters When he enters back to his house, the first thing that comes out of the house he will sacrifice unto the Lord, and the first thing that entered that when he came home that leaves the house was his daughter. So many people get into the question: Did he offer his daughter as a burnt sacrifice? Because that's what he said he would do, thinking maybe the first thing he saw would be a cow or something like that. We guess, but it was his daughter and people say well he couldn't have burnt, had a burnt sacrifice of his a human because that would be a violation of what god would have so what did he do well the fact that jephthah's daughter went to weep the fact that we see that the women of israel for years would think about Jephthah's daughter and remember her and basically celebrate or, or thought, think of a memorial to her each year. The idea is that she was the end of the line. She was an only daughter and never married. That would be what how the vow was fulfilled, we believe. The next judge that we have is Ibsun. Now, Ibsun, we don't have a whole lot about. We actually only have a few verses, and I'll read them for you. This is Judges chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. And after Ibsun of Bethlehem judged Israel, he had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons, and he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsun died... And was buried in Bethlehem. That's all we have. And you say, well, that's not a lot. We we know he judged. We don't know who he was uh, pressed by in his reign. But it was only for seven years that we see he reigned. And what else does it say? Well, it talks about him having 30 sons and 30 daughters. Was that to say he was a very active man? Well, obviously he was quite active with 60 children. But there's more to that. In this time period, at that time, to have so many children would actually be a sign of stature. This is something we can't comprehend in our culture, but in that culture when people had a lot of wives and a lot of children, it was a sign of strength. It was a sign of of authority. This is why you end up seeing that Solomon would be mentioned as having so many wives and concubines, because they would be wives that were married in. The fact that these daughters and were taken from outside the clans for his sons when his daughters would give in to other clans was to show that he where peace treaties were made. he was a very authoritative person. that's why it mentions that, and that's what we can learn from that. The next judge of Israel that we see is Elon. Now we don't again have a lot on Elon. We have two verses, Judges chapter twelve verses eleven and twelve. so I will read them after him. Elon, the zebulite, judged Israel. And he judged Israel 10 years, and Edlon the Zebulite died and was buried at Ezalon, the land of Z- Zebulon. Now, here's what you end up seeing. We don't have a whole lot about him. We don't know who his oppressors are. All we know is he was a judge of Israel for 10 years. That's it. And you say, well, what can we learn about him? There's so little that is mentioned. Well, there may be little mentioned, but we don't know who is the pressers. But one of the things we can even see in this little bit is that God never left his people without a leader. When they needed a leader, there was always someone that he brought up. He brings up this individual to be the judge over Israel Even if we don't have all the details, the purpose of this is to show we have some rapid-fire judges here. We already saw with Isband, now Elon, and we're going to see next with the next judge very short information about only two verses for each one of them before we get into the final one of Samson. But the point is that God is being faithful to his people even during this time in always providing a civil leader to bring them to deliverance. Looking forward to one that would finally be the deliverer. Now we have the again another judge named... Abdon, we don't have a lot on him again. This is the third of these three. So we had four judges that we saw that were in civil war. Then we have three that follow where we only have two verses per judge. Let me read those two verses in Judges chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. After him, Adam, the son of Halel, the Parodontite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. And Adon, the son of Hillel, the Paranonite, died and was buried in Parathon, in the land of Ephraim, and in the hill country of the Almakanites. Now, here, here's the thing. we you end up seeing again, why are they mentioning so many children? Again, it's for the same reason. The fact that he had... So many sons and grandsons. It talks about his authority, his power. Now, he had these many grandsons. They had 70 donkeys. In other words, they all rode. Uh, they didn't walk. They had... It's a, a matter of status. But he only judged for eight years. This man must have been a man that had some respectability long before he was the judge and died, because he must have had these (laughs) grandsons have that many. He must have had them while he was still before he judged. So you see, he was a man of respect and power. The last of the judges that we're going to look at is Samson. He's one of the better known judges, especially after the last several judges that we looked at where there were only two verses each. For each of those three judges, we have Samson, who has four whole chapters devoted to him. We know Samson because of the account of Samson and Delilah. Now, when we look at Samson, we had a long period of oppression from the Philistines, 40 years, in fact, and he acted as judge for 20 years, and he was... Well, probably one of the worst judges. Why? Well, he kept wanting to marry people from the Enemy's camp. He kept wanting to be with them and not his own people. He was a strange judge because he seemed less interested in, in being a judge for Israel and more about getting back for himself. He was a man of great strength. God kept him with great strength. He was a Ninevite. Had a Ninevite vow, which means he wasn't supposed to touch dead things, which he did. He's not supposed to drink anything of the the vine. Uh, which he had wine. So he broke all of these vows. The last of them is he was not to cut his hair. You may know the account, him being extremely strong. He was a big problem, a thorn in the the side of the Philistines. They finally realized the sense of his strength was his hair. And as Delilah cuts his hair he ends up losing all of his strength. God ends up giving his strength back as his hair grows back. He asked to be brought before the pillars of the great theater when they're going to just put him on display. And he ends up collapsing the building on the Philistines and putting an end to their reign. God was sovereign. This
0: podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.